0: Today, I'm really happy to welcome on the show, co-founder of Cosmos, CEO of Informal Systems, and president of the Interchain Foundation, Ethan Buckman, AKA Bucky, or Ethan Buchman. I said I was going to do it, so there you go. I have a really bad version of it. I was told that you are an internet biophysicist, sustainability existentialist, and monetary localist, um, which sounds really impressive. And actually, um, there's a number of those things that we we are going to try to get time to talk about the more desk research I've done. So, of course, like what people really want to hear about is all the exciting stuff that's going on um, over in the Cosmos ecosystem. You know, you've now got... A number of blockchains based on Cosmos, upwards of uh, over 115 billion in collective market cap. BCB, CRO, Atom, OKB, Luna, Rune, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I know of several of our portfolio that are doing really cool things over there. From um, you know Mark Miller and Dean Tribble, co-founders of Agoric, who Dean we had on the show last week, um, as well as uh, several others so definitely want to talk about all the really exciting stuff that's happening over there you know the importance of proof of stake networks um in all of that interoperability and and the enablement of blockchain and blockchains but before we before we do i really want to nerd out with you on some of the stuff that i went down a bit of a rabbit hole on um as i was kind of doing my desk research and linked to the kind of more fancy descriptions of you uh, that i just did at the top end so um but before we do all that let's just kind of do some hygiene i mentioned a lot of entities cosmos informal systems Interchain foundation could you just explain you know at a high level what those various organizations are and how they interact with one another
1: sure sounds good yeah so thanks for having me on it's good it's good to be here and happy to talk about all these things um, Cosmos is the Internet of Blockchains project that we founded back in, in 2017. It grew out of uh, the Tendermint project, which we had started a little bit earlier, we being Jay Quan and I, the, the two co-founders of both Tendermint and Cosmos. The idea behind Cosmos was to really uh bring about an internet of blockchains right so we have all these all these teams this was back in 2016 so the idea of there being a proliferation of blockchains you know thousands or millions of of blockchains was still kind of heretical and everyone was trying to build you know the one true chain it was going to be bitcoin or ethereum or or something else And, and we saw a world where there would be many blockchains and we needed to build protocols and standards and and tools and technology that would allow people to easily uh, set up blockchains, that would allow communities to build blockchains, to represent their values, uh, to host their own infrastructure and applications, to be sovereign over their own community and, and to enable those different um, sovereign blockchains to be interoperable with one another. And that was sort of the, the crux of the Cosmos project, which is today proliferated into a, a huge ecosystem, like you were saying, with, with many projects building on top of the technology, many live um, blockchains, many you know, tens of billions of dollars worth of of, of collective market cap that has been uh, created there, and and we're really just getting started with this whole you know internet vision for the internet of blockchains with IBC, the interoperability protocol of Cosmos. That's the inter-blockchain communication protocol. IBC went live this year. You know, we hit a major milestone of of a million IBC transactions. I think just just last month. So. Uh, really, you know, this is all starting to come to light um, this year, everything coming online and, and we could talk a lot more about that. So Cosmos is Cosmos is the, is the, the sort of grand open source project ecosystem vision. It's also a philosophy. We, we could talk a little bit more about that. It's not a single blockchain or a single, you know, a single project or company. It's really, a, you know, a, a quite a big expansive um, vision and, and project on the order of, you know, the internet, or at least that is our our hope for it. That's Cosmos. The Interchain Foundation is a nonprofit foundation that we set up in Switzerland back in 2017. Um, so after we had written the Cosmos white paper, you know, we figured, okay, we're going to have to go raise money uh, to fund development of this thing. We had already done a lot of development, sort of ourselves, just bootstrap, but it was time to sort of to grow it. So we set up a foundation, sort of following in the footsteps of, of Ethereum, and, and, and we raised money through that foundation uh, to steward this larger ecosystem to help bring about. Um, you know, this, this new kind of internet, this new, you know, community-owned um, internet of value, let's say, right? And, and so the Interchain Foundation is, is that body that has been uh, funding and developing and, and stewarding the creation of this interoperable, sustainable, community-owned ecosystem. Um, it's still operating today. It employs a number of, of core developers and funds uh, probably dozens of other other projects in the ecosystem. That's the Interchain Foundation. And then there's an Informal Systems, uh, which is a, a company that spun out of the Interchain Foundation uh, at the beginning of 2020. That's the company I'm I'm the CEO of. Informal Systems is a, a core contributor within the Cosmos ecosystem. So we do fundamental R&D on Cosmos protocols. Uh, we're, we're one of the lead developers of the IBC protocol. That's the interoperability protocol I was talking about, inter-blockchain communication. Uh, we built the Hermes, which is an IBC relayer, which is sort of the... Um, you know, the, the middleware, the infrastructure that actually makes IBC work. It's the stuff that actually runs between blockchains. You can think of it as like, you know, equivalent to the sort of backbone and routing and ISP infrastructure of the internet. That's actually connecting all of our, all of our computers. So the, the IBC relayers are what actually connect the different blockchains. So we build that. Uh, we do a lot of formal verification work. So we're building tools to uh, enable software developers to get higher guarantees out of their software and to apply many of the advances that have happened over the last, few decades in informal verification, in sort of mathematically verifying the correctness of software to actually bring that to the average software developer, stuff that used to only be accessible, say, to NASA or to Amazon, trying to make it increasingly available to, you know, the average startup doing, um, you know, test-driven development or, or whatever can start to use these kinds of formal verification tools uh, without having, you know, a deep background in, in math or research. So that, that's the kind of work we're doing at Informal. We also do security audits. We started that this year, and, and, and that's been gaining a lot of steam on, on core uh, core blockchain projects. We run a proof-of-stake validator. That's the Cephalopod Equipment Validator. So we're live on a bunch of Cosmos networks. Uh, and notably, one, one, one key thing about Informo that we can also talk about a bit later is we're structured as a workers' cooperative. Um, so we're about uh, almost 30 people now, and it's a, it's a one-person, one-vote system. Uh, I'm the CEO, but I'm accountable to the employees, so you know if they ever... If they ever like, um, they can you know revolt and, and throw me out, and uh, there's there's nothing really I can do about that other than you know try to convince them otherwise. So um, that's a cool model we've been exploring, and so there's a lot in there we can uh, we can unpack over the course of the um, this conversation.
0: Yeah. So look, I'm I'm really looking forward to this one, and we're going to come back to you know some of the kind of the technology and the stack a, a little bit later, and, and I guess the use cases that you're seeing kind of flourish on there. Um, but I want to kind of come back to you as a systems thinker, really. So as I said, I was doing my desk research into you. I mean, I, I've, you know, known you, known of you, well, probably for as long as I've been in the space. Um, it, we were saying off air, you know, we, we we spoke a long time ago. But, you know, I, I kind of went through your Twitter stream and you you've got this tweet pinned at the top, and I would highly recommend people uh, read that whole thread, check out all the links in it. And I definitely don't want you to repeat stuff there, but there's a lot of really good stuff that resonated with me, my journey into the crypto space and actually helped me understand or make better sense of like what you're doing at Cosmos and, and kind of the mission there. Um, so you know, in this thread, you talk about financial system, their financial system not really being for purpose. You talk about um, the the function of a corporation as this kind of state machine um, actually operating kind of invalid states. And, um, you know, you, you kind of – you really take – there's a video in there um, which was called Stakeholders and State Machines. And, you know, you really go on a jaunt – through looking around principles around dissipation and and really referring to the existing corporations and presumably the financial system as a whole as kind of being out of control hurricanes because they're kind of lacking these boundaries. And it was like really fascinating listening. But within there, there are a couple of things that really stood out or resonated with me. The first one was um, this reference to cooperatives and cooperatism. Um, And the second one was um this kind of thinking about technology and te- technological systems as biological systems. And um you know that that seems like very grounded in in the world of cybernetics, something I've I've kind of loosely uh read about, and that led me to kind of understand why because of your background. Um, but let's start with the kind of cooperatives and, cooperatives. and As you said, you know, the kind of the the cosmos itself is a cooperatively owned organization but you know I, i think it's interesting to understand why you think cooperatives are so important and i think it's this rooting in localism so for me actually the thing that brought me into bitcoin way back was i was thinking about like cooperatives felt like the natural way to coordinate value on the internet like in, intuitively, but they they typically, you know, not very performant in a, like they didn't really scale. Like, so there's hugely successful cooperatives out there, but they've not really adopted digital technologies that well. And so that kind of led me on a pathway uh, to explore things like p- platform cooperatism. I actually co-founded, or I was like a founding member of something that the new, new school did out of New York by a guy called Trevor Schultz. Um, which was looking at how blockchain technology could be leveraged to scale cooperatives. So that was like originally what took me into looking at Bitcoin as a peer-to-peer you know, financial technology that could potentially power um, cooperatives. So I was like really, really excited to kind of see that was a, a core thing for you. So why, why are cooperatives so important and what's that kind of linkage to localism?
1: Yeah, uh, there's a lot there. And there's a lot of there's a lot of angles we could come at this from. I think one of the big ones for me is that, um, you know, historically, a lot of the, the institutions that we have, and that we've, we've built our entire civilization around modern civilization around, were kind of accidental and we kind of we kind of bumbled our way into them you know they happened here a, a law showed up here or there some economist had an idea and, you know lobbied the government for for something and then we ended up with some institutional structure and and just like you know stumbled into structuring our entire civilization without without you know stepping back to really think hey was this was this right you know should we really have done this and and one of those is the corporation itself um, you know, and and the corporation, as as we know it today, kind of came together as a as an entity proper. I think in the, in the nineteenth century, through a you know a series of laws that made you know uh, made it possible for anyone to sort of get uh, to incorporate and to get limited liability and and that sort of thing. And and very rapidly, uh, we structured our entire civilization on top of that. And I think the the problem with the corporation, and you know, I, I sort of talk about this in that in that talk, stakeholders and state machines, is that um, the corporation insufficiently represents the stakeholders in society. Right? The the crux of a of a corporate charter in in most jurisdictions, even if it's not you know full blown this way, it, it's definitely the way uh, the incentives are structured and the way people think about it, and even the legal system is is biased. Is to favor the shareholders and to return profit you know typically denominated in dollars to the shareholders and when you structure your entire civilization on that kind of entity and empower that thing to you know do whatever it wants um you're going to cause a lot of a lot of havoc and you know obviously we, we've seen that with uh, with the destruction wrought by you know um unaccountable multinational corporations and and you know things like like facebook and everything that's going on there and um you know corporations of the past so what, what cooperatives do is they better uh, embed the, at least uh, some other group of stakeholders in the governance structure of of the corporation right and so it's not just these you know abstract uh, profit oriented shareholders that the corporation is accountable to or, or liable to. It's the workers or, uh, you know, the, the consumers or some group of producers or some some ex- other explicit set of stakeholders that really have some other interest in the world, in in the, the output of this entity that isn't just pure profit, purely denominated in, in dollars. And I think the problem with purely denominating thing in dollars is that it it collapses into a much uh, into a very low dimension the actual values that that people and and societies hold and expresses it you know it's like a shadow of a much higher dimensional value system right so it's like you know imagine you only ever met someone through their shadows sort or of like you know Plato's Plato's cave allegory so thinking about everything in terms of um, in in terms of dollars and profit kind of does that, you know, projects it down into a, it projects this high dimensional value space down into a very low single dimensional uh, thing that causes us uh, to lose sight of a lot of what's important and, you know, and, and sort of wreak havoc. So, Cooperatives are, are a step, I think, towards uh, reversing that and better embedding other values, other higher dimensional values held by other groups and other stakeholders in the sort of charter of uh, a, a corporate entity or an organization to allow it to better you know, express those values in its behavior in the world. And this isn't to say that you know, corporations are inherently bad or we shouldn't have any you know, corporations or shareholders or, or profit-seeking incentives not at all. That's not the point. The point is that we can't structure our entire civilization around these things because then we lose sight of a lot of what's actually valuable to human beings and and to society and, and to the planet and so on. And so, you know, I sort of have a model in mind where we have many more cooperatives and we sort of have the corporations uh, the private sector corporations, somewhat embedded in or emerging out of the cooperatives, rather than uh, having them as the sort of dominant mode, and and this whole like corporation versus the government kind of dynamic and and tension that we have now.
0: Yeah, and so that then leads me into this this second point that I mentioned around, I guess, you know, what has historically been referred to as cybernetics. Um, the best description I heard of cybernetics was that it's kind of a contact language that emerged out of, um, the industrial military complex during World War II, where you had all these different disciplines, scientific disciplines that had to work together. Um, and so, you know, you had the the people working in in physics, they had to be able to communicate with people, uh, in other disciplines like biology or chemistry. And so, then I kind of looked at your background and, and saw that you, you had a masters um, in biophysics, machine learning, neuroscience, statistical inference, and complexity. So, um, h- how has cybernetics influenced your thinking? Because going back to that video that I referenced at the top, you know, you, you kind of refer to this ability. So, if you take localness to its extreme, um, uh, presumably by this kind of like hyperlocalness you you allow for that means of coordination or, or whatever, it, that state machine to be kind of have greater proximity to its environment or its ecology. And you, you talk about how in combination that can create like a rainforest, right? So um, a rainforest being less kind of aggregate of very a complex system of lots of stuff that's happening on a hyperlocal level. Have I got that right? And am I right in thinking that cybernetics has formed a lot of that thinking?
1: Yeah, I think that that's roughly right. I don't know how, how influenced I was directly by sort of um, cybernetic literature per se. I was certainly um, around it and, and peripheral to it. Um, I did read quite a bit of, you know, I was heavily influenced by folks like Buckminster Fuller, who I think is sometimes um, uh, considered sort of part of that. And, and, by, and he
0: wrote a book on the corporation, right? So... Right.
1: Um, he wrote a book on the corporation?
0: Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I, I've got it on my shelf. So I, I was actually going to say when you're talking about the, f- the the role of the corporation, how it's emerged as a coordination mechanism. I mean, you could call it state machine. Right. I actually got a book on my shelf. I've only half read it. I'll be honest with you, but okay. um, it, it was. I, I believe it was uh, written by Fuller, and it it was it talked about the role and function of a corporation. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. So
1: I, I read a lot of that, and and Marshall McLuhan, sort of media studies, technology studies, and and the role of you know technology as sort of extension of, of the human physiology. And I was very heavily influenced by um, you know George Lakoff and uh, the book metaphors we live by, and, and the thing, the sort of embedded cognition movement. And I think a lot of these are probably more maybe more recent or modern incarnations of the um, the cybernetic kind of discipline. in in, in some sense. Um, so that, that in that way, I guess that, that certainly influenced, um, my thinking, but the the crux for me, you know, in, in in my bio, you know, I've got these epithets like internet biophysicist, sustainability existentialist. I made all these things up. Um,
0: (laughs) I love them. I'm going to copy and paste. uh Well, thank
1: you. Yeah. I mean, I do that because I don't, I don't want people to put me in boxes and I don't want to use terms that like you have, uh, you know, preconceived notions or, or connotations for. And so if I just make things up, like, uh, you know, you have to kind of come to it with a fresh perspective you can't say oh i know what that is like this guy sucks or he thinks this like you you don't know what any of these words means because i made them up so i get to uh i get to find them myself so you know and uh more more recently i've changed it i'm sort of i'm sort of trying to um to describe it a little bit better and and the way i'm thinking about it now is um, sustainability existentialism is, is, is kind of the core philosophy or the metaphysics in a sense and uh, and you can derive from that, you know, a, a policy and, and a politics. And, you know, in, when I was younger, in my 20s, I was, I was quite infatuated with trying to derive physics from politics. And, you know, in the 19th century, a lot of people were doing this and, and came up with kind of social Darwinism. And, you know, there, there, there's a lot wrong with that. I hope I have a, you know, a, a less naive and a little bit more empathetic um approach but but the crux of the sustainability existentialist position is essentially the um that you know we have these emergent systems in the universe that seem to contravene the second law of thermodynamics right we allegedly live in a universe where uh, everything is running down uh you know it, it's sort of uh, every every man for himself every system for itself uh entropy is always increasing there's only so much energy to go around um and this you know and so much of our our like societal structure i think was sort of built out of this understanding and, and philosophy and maybe that's part of why corporations have become so dominant and yet you know despite this um there are systems that seem to run up right we have organisms and and ecosystems and, and forests and all these amazing uh, emergent phenomena that at first glance seem to contravene the second law and you know when when you study this a little bit further you find out okay actually they don't contravene the second law these things are in some sense uh, favored by the universe in 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 a way because they're able to produce sort of more dissipation on net than if they didn't exist. So in other words, you know the fact that life exists on Earth uh, allows the Earth to dissipate more sunlight than it would be able to do if it were just sort of a barren rock. And you know so there's there's sort of a a thermodynamic argument for the inevitability of life in the universe. And you know the the reason life kind of persists and and, and the crux of that and the sustainability existentialists position is that it's able to represent its environment in its internal structure in a way that allows it to predict the future, in a sense, and and, and what's going to happen and and respond uh, appropriately to that. And so it has to have a coherent and effective model of the environment, of its energy inputs and so on within its internal structure in order to sustain itself. And, And so that sort of idea that a sustainable system is one that effectively represents its environment inside its internal structure in order to store up information and, and respond effectively to sorry, store up energy and respond effectively to to changes in its driving signals. That's that's sort of the crux um of my philosophy and why I feel that you know localism and 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 cooperatives and so on are, are so important because of this representational problem, right? The the kinds of vehicles we're using, the organizations we're using, the you know current structure of the financial system, the over reliance on on oil and, and fossil fuels, and and uh, you know the, the structure of corporations and what they're tuned towards and oriented towards uh, is not sufficiently representative of the environment and the driving signals, and are thus you know quite directly um threatening the sustainability of, of the species and and the planet and so you know when i'm looking at how how we're going to address that what kind of organizational forms will do a better job you know i'm, I'm really trying to tune towards this well we actually have to represent within our structure uh, you know the environment and and the dynamics of the environment and and the, the only way we can really do that because things are so complicated and society is so complicated and our environment includes the rest of society at this point because you know the social organism has gotten so large uh, we can really only do that effectively by uh, by by having much more local uh, organizational forms and having you know a lot more locally responsive structures um so that we can we can keep up with with changes in the environment. And you know, and I think there are lines of thinking in in economics and political economics like the Ostroms and the Bloomington School, for instance, that have sort of matured this idea or popularized you know Ostrom got a Nobel Prize like thirty years ago or whatever it was for these kinds of ideas around local organizations and, and you know, how they can, um, you know, effectively responsibly steward, steward the commons. And, uh, you know, I, I sort of stumbled into that literature as well, but coming more from a biophysical background and from this sort of informational theoretic background on, you know, how organisms exist in the first place and, and you know, found the Ostrom's work and the governing the commons work and you found a lot of synergy there. And so I'm, I'm sort of trying to Trying to understand what that would mean for, you know, new forms of of corporations and monetary policy and then how we can effectively, you know, restructure the global economic and financial system uh, kind of from the bottom up so that we can we can effectively go from local to global and back uh, and and have the right representations at, at each scale to be effectively sustainable, to properly represent um, our environments and and our boundaries. And, and you know, that's what sort of the, the talks I've given on stakeholders and state machines and, and the threads you, you were referencing um, are really about.
0: And so, you know, that enter blockchains or a blockchain of blockchains, and I know you said there'll be not just tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of blockchains that allow for these local sovereign state machines, right?
1: Yeah. I always thought I was going to be a professor for, for most of my life. And after I got over the, you know, I'm going to be in the MBA thing, um, I uh, figured I'd be a professor. And then I started learning about sort of how corrupt academia is and the financial system and the whole publisher parish and, and, you know, how are things funded and what are the incentives? And I, I sort of got, um, got really invested in, in all of that and then trying to figure out how to fix that and then, and then kind of stumbled into Bitcoin. And it seemed like, you know, this was sort of something emerging out of the open source community that was combining all these disparate fields and, and really held some promise for addressing really, really critical systemic problems. And, and from the biophysical perspective, like, you know, it seemed to me that if the Internet was sort of a revolution in biological communication, which, in a sense, it was. Suddenly, we can we can communicate very rapidly, you know, effectively at, at the speed of light anywhere in the world. This is this is sort of unprecedented. Um, what Bitcoin and at and a species Washington,
0: level as well, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. At the whole species level, globally, even interspecies, if you like. Um, you know, there, you know, John C. Lilly and various others. were trying. we communicating with dolphins, or you know, with, with apes, and and so there's been. There's been this kind of thing in the past but uh, you know i think with, with the internet and modern technology we can do a lot more but the with with uh you know blockchain seemed to be sort of a revolution in coordination right built on top of this communication layer suddenly we can coordinate in ways that uh, were difficult if not impossible before and that seemed really important for addressing many of these these systemic problems and so you know it, it sort of looked like what was happening was a kind of origin of life event in the digital medium and i had been studying the origin of life in the biophysical medium trying to understand you know how cells and organisms came together and all that and i just became uh, just completely infatuated with uh with the digital version of that problem which i took to be um you know blockchains and 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 realizing that i could have impact there um and, and sort of went all in
0: yeah so i remember i had um Mark S. miller on the podcast probably over a year ago now is it was, it was in the depths of. COVID and uh, at the end of, I mean, it's just a huge privilege to talk to somebody like that. Right. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> at, at, the, at the end, and I like just uh, felt totally out of my depth, but he was like very generous. And um, and at the end he did this great monologue on, and you know, you intuitively know it. I mean, like you, I've been committed to the space for, for quite a while now, but to hear somebody like him talk about what blockchains enable, like the removal, the friction of trust, the cost of trust, and and what that will mean to coordination, collaboration. It was it was like it was a mind blowing monologue. Um, so I definitely recommend people check that out. But maybe to kind of close this bit off, because I mean, I could talk to you about this stuff for the whole podcast, and I know that sure. some people will be <laughs> loving it, and some people will be like, "No, we want to get into what's going on with Cosmos." But yeah, maybe to kind of close it off. So really, you know, if you look at means of coordination, um, in the financial system, you had you know, these top-down things, corporation, you have this fiat system with a central bank, you know, debt-based systems. And for the last, you know, what, century, m- maybe more, there's been this this polarized debate around, you, you're either for free market fundamentalism or you're for collectivism, you know, you're for unions, yeah. you're for socialism. Yeah. Um, is- I've always felt that somehow, and I'm, I'm hoping you can articulate this better than I can, that somehow blockchains, like in aggregate, blo- a, a blockchain of blockchains, somehow resolves this like tension, right? Because you can have free markets, um, and at the same time, you can allow for collectivism.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think the dichotomy is a little bit um, misguided, and uh, I, I think the twentieth century is basically a write-off. Uh, things got very <laughs> confused in that century. We caused a lot of war and death, and. Um, it, it was pretty bad. Uh, I, I prefer to go back to the 19th century. I've been reading a lot of literature from the 19th century and really trying to understand some older ideas and um, and, and how they can be renewed for the for the 21st. Um, but uh, I, I think the dichotomy is off. I think markets have a really important uh, place in the world. The problem is um, that they don't. Uh, you know, you, you can't have a completely market-oriented society. When when you do that, um, you sort of corrupt a lot of key aspects of of you know the values of land and labor and you know you, when you represent all of those things as commodities they're not actual commodities you know land is not a commodity it's not produced for sale on the market and labor is not a commodity you know it's the land is like the endowment of the earth right uh, it took billions of years to create it wasn't created for sale on the market and and labor is like the inherent vitality of the human being that was also not created For sale on the market. And when you structure your whole society around, you know, these things as as commodities, what Karl Polanyi called the, you know, the fictitious commodities, um, you misrepresent the actual values and the actual information inherent in those things. And so you inevitably corrupt um, you know the, the information therein, in and and you know compromise the sustainability of, of the socioeconomic organism and so you know it, it's not that it, that you know markets are are inherently bad again sort of going back to what I was ta- what I was saying about the corporation it's not like the corporation is inherently bad they have their place and they solve very specific problems but when you try to when you, when you try to use them for things that don't fit within that mold, like, for instance, land and labor, uh, which have become, you know, such dominant components of, of the market society today, that's when everything goes astray. And, and you know, frankly, blockchains aren't going to solve that, right? Blockchains don't make magically, um, you know, land not thought of as a commodity or labor not thought of as a commodity anymore. They do help to, you know, to re restructure the conversation and to make people think about, for instance, what money is. And money has the same problems. People think money is just another commodity, which, of course, it's not. Um, and so, you know, I actually did uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago. I did a, the blockchain socialist podcast. I went on that and talked about these ideas at length, and that's coming out, I think, uh, later this week or, or next week. So um, you can listen to that, where we go into this in a lot more detail. Um, but I think the, the the challenge with markets is when they become disembedded from the rest of society, and, and society becomes subject to the sort of you know market fundamentalism. That's when when things go wrong. But the, but the the opposite or the sort of solution isn't necessarily some grand, you know, collectivism, state socialism or something. Um, you know, so I think the word socialism become chronically overloaded and, uh, uh frankly, I think Marx kind of ruined it for everyone. Socialism I think, had a, had a lot better connotations before he came around, um, like in, in cooperatives and, and, and so on. So I'm a big fan of like Robert Owen, who was, um, I think the founder of, of the cooperative movement and, and Karl Polanyi sort of version of socialism, which is, uh, very different than what most people associate with socialism. So, so I think the key idea is that markets ha- have their place, but um, they need to be used for actual commodities, for things that are actually um, are can be meaningfully subject to um, to the laws of supply and demand. And and labor and land and money and you know in particular aren't actual commodities; they're so called fictitious commodities. And when we try to subject them to the whims of the market. Uh, we misrepresent their actual value, and and thereby you know compromise our our sustainability. So I think we need a much more nuanced understanding of the role of markets and the structure of society, and the, and the correct institutional forms, which should be a lot more um, a lot more bottom up and and local, and sort of governed by you know cooperatives and, and governing the commons, and and these kinds of modes of of thinking.
0: Yeah. So I'm sure you know for some people this might sound all very intellectual, theoretical, but actually. It's the philosophy of Cosmos, right? And it's practically playing out. So, can you talk us through how this is how this is happening today on the Cosmos network?
1: Yeah. So the the key the key ideas there that um, you know we, we've sort of summarized it in the Cosmos philosophy in in, in two terms: sovereignty and interoperability, right? Uh, which is the idea that we should uh, local communities should be sovereign over their over their community, over their infrastructure, over their applications, over their way of life, they should be free to express their values at uh, sort of as local a level as possible. Uh, but we, but doing so shouldn't compromise the ability for those local communities to be, um, you know, uh, weave together into a into a global sort of cohesive whole. So they ought to still be interoperable with each other. So we want sovereignty uh but we don't want to compromise the interoperability. And so the crux of Cosmos are, are these sort of core pair ideas of sovereignty and interoperability. Um and you know the the goal of, of the Cosmos technology and, and the project, what and using blockchains and so on, and what it can help do is allow communities to express their values more directly. Uh, In a way where they, you know, where they don't have to use someone else's infrastructure, someone else's application, where they have no sort of um, rights of ownership or control, and so on, they can they can define things, however they would like. And so everything we've built in Cosmos was really about uh, enabling communities to be sovereign over their own infrastructure and their own applications. and, And despite that sovereignty to still be interoperable. Uh, with one another. And and so that's, you know, everything in, in Tenement, in the Cosmos SDK, in IBC, the Interblockchain Communica- Communication Protocol, was really about um, enabling those things. And, you know, in the early days of Cosmos, the way we pitched it was, oh, application-specific blockchains, right? It we, was we sort of in contrast to what you would do on Ethereum, where you're very much not sovereign um, you know, if you deploy a smart contract on Ethereum, it's run by the Ethereum miners and it's subject to the Ethereum virtual machine and and the sort of whims of Ethereum governance. And you know, Ethereum government governance claims to be sort of credibly neutral. And, and but you know, they do upgrades and those upgrades break smart contracts. And you know, you're subject to gas fees in ETH. And you know, you're competing with all the other applications for uh, for block space and and so on. So the users of an application aren't really sovereign over that application. They are subject to, you know, the larger political economics of, um, of the Ethereum network, right? And, and, and that's fine and great. And, and there's a lot of benefits to doing that. Um, just like there are a lot of benefits to be rule, to being ruled over by, you know, the empire of Alexander the Great. He, uh, you know, takes care of your security and, and a lot of things and will protect you. But, you know, you have to pay taxes and you may get drafted into the army and, and, and things like this. Right. And so the idea with, with Cosmos was to enable each application to really be its own sovereign blockchain in its own right and to completely determine all of its parameters and to not be subject to the to the whims of some other network or, or some other ecosystem, but to have really complete control to express the values of that community, the desires uh, and interests of, of, of the community it's serving in a sort of integrated, holistic way, and to still be interoperable with the many other communities, so to not be siloed off from everyone else. and. And we're doing that in a very sort of bottom up way, you know, sort of one one layer at a time so that we can build back towards the kind of functionality and global security you might get from the Ethereum network. But to start from the bottom up where the the sort of first order primary user we're serving is, you know, the sovereign community who just wants to run their own infrastructure to, you know, to host an application to serve them uh, and and go from there towards, uh, you know, the sort of shared global security model rather than starting from the global model and, and trying to work your way down. So, you know, and we expect we'll meet kind of somewhere in the middle with Ethereum and the other kind of global uh, ecosystems.
0: And so, you know, there's huge activity happening on on the network at the moment. What are what are the kind of, I don't know whether you describe them as, you know, so you have all these sovereignties. Um, what industries, verticals, use cases are you kind of seeing the most momentum for? Like this, this kind of fundamental requirement for this kind of network configuration?
1: Yeah, so I mean, we're seeing the same kind of, uh, in some sense, same kind of evolution we saw on Ethereum in terms of, um, you know, DeFi is kind of this killer app in in in, in some sense. And so there are a lot of um, Cosmos-based blockchains that are specializing in certain aspects of, of decentralized finance um, and, and also payments. So for instance, both um, I believe both Terra and Crypto.com, which are Cosmos-based chains, have you know very active, widely adopted retail-scale payments infrastructure with real people paying for real things in stablecoins um, using their Cosmos-based blockchains, right? And so that's that's kind of amazing to to see that that they have like you know millions of retail users who don't care about DeFi and don't care about um, about blockchains, but are just are just using it because it provides good payment rails. Um, and so, you know, the stable coins are, are, are sort of a use case, DeFi is sort of a use case. But what I'm increasingly interested in is sustainability and and really like, uh, you know, using this kind of technology to coordinate to to solve, you know, key problems um, on the planet. And so there are a number of cosmos based chains that are going after uh, certain issues like this. So, so one is um, the the Regen Network, which is really focusing on regenerative agriculture and land management, and you know, carbon credits and, and things like that to really you know use this coordination technology to be able to incentivize um, you know sustainable regenerative behavior in the real world. And yes, there's a you know certainly there's a financial aspect to it, and and it's sort of leveraging the um, the financial components of of the blockchain technology, but with a very social impact oriented. Um, mission. And uh, there's others like uh, the IXO blockchain, which recently launched, which has a social impact bonds, which which again leverage some of the primitives from DeFi and bonding curves and these kinds of things, which allow you to do sort of more interesting, you know, capital allocation, capital formation kind of things, but using it not just for trading and speculation, but to actually finance uh, particular social impact initiatives, and then at sort of a more local scale. There's there's the Althea network, which which is building out a, a Cosmos blockchain, and they're doing they're doing mesh nets, right? So they're they're running real world mesh net infrastructure in rural communities where the large ISPs, you know, aren't delivering service because it's too expensive for them to roll out, um, you know, their their cables or or whatever to go to the last mile. And so they've built you know routing software and 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 all this good stuff so that communities can actually provide their own self hosted internet. You know using microwave towers or, or or whatever the case may be and that's really you know that that sort of really spans the gamut i love the, the sort of comparison between althea on the one hand this very hyper local you know community-based internet infrastructure and the sort of region network on the other trying to you know solve climate change and global you know ecological health issues and every and then there's everything in between and, and the cosmos technology sort of applies you know, equally well to both, whether, whether your community is at the level of, you know, a small rural town that just wants to provide its own internet, or it's at the level of the entire globe trying to, you know, trying to heal the planet, uh, the coordination technology is, is, is useful at all scales. And so that's really the kind of thing we're looking for is this sort of multi-scale, um, multi-scale applications that, that then all, all connect up to, to provide a sort of more cohesive approach to, let's say, the internet and, and to these kinds of applications.
0: Yeah, so you know when you're talking about sovereignties, um, which we've got another project in the portfolio that is building on Cosmos um, called Checked um, C H E Q D, and they're working at the individual level, so self-sovereign identity, um, mm-hmm. so sovereignty in an in individual level, and you know you're kind of then talking at the other end of the spectrum, um, anything from you know small community up to I guess. Could be city, state level um, forms of um, cooperatism by by leveraging a, a blockchain. Where does where did DAO sit in that? Where's the delineation? At what point do you delineate between needing your own blockchain and just needing a DAO on a blockchain?
1: Um, you know, it, it depends on uh, it depends on the particular community. Um, I'm kind of annoyed with the whole DAO discourse. Um, I think there's like so much low-hanging fruit, so much tooling that's just missing um, to make this stuff actually work. And and we're hoping to address some of these issues with, you know, with uh, Cosmos development and and that technology. But I mean, every blockchain is, in a sense, a DAO. um, And, uh, you know, depending on what a community needs, we'll, we'll determine whether it's sufficient for it to just use, say, a smart contract you know that that defines some kind of DAO structure on ethereum or you know or, or wherever else or if it really you know needs and wants its, its own blockchain um i expect that it, it, it's going to be increasingly important that um communities are sovereign over their own infrastructure which means roughly having their own blockchains and that the sort of end game for this is is on the order of something like city-states sovereign interoperable city-states um, and that each city would basically sort of run its own its own blockchain, providing its own um, you know municipal currency and core uh, core applications to service uh, its its citizens. You know, educational applications, the internet infrastructure itself. Um, you know, information, maybe its own sort of localized forms of, of Wikipedia and so on. But the idea that like so much internet traffic travels to you know California and back no matter where you are in the world is just uh is I mean obviously okay they use the CDNs and stuff like that but still it's sort of you know imagine imagine all your sewage had to go to California and back to get cleaned like it's it's insane right and like we think it's oh it, it's fine because it's just electrons and you know they're practically free or they're weightless and or it's photons or whatever um and so it's not a problem if they have to go to California to, to fetch the latest information but um you know the scales we're operating it does matter it's not like literally the electrons you know are heavy, uh, the way sewage might be. If you you know, if you had to, if you had to transport all your sewage. But imagine, like, sorry, I, I'm sort of getting carried away from the from the original no question. No, keep keep going. Imagine that you know th- what we're doing with the internet right now. The way the internet is structured is is like almost literally like you have to to clean your local sewage. You have to send it to California and then get it back. And that's just obviously insane, right? Like no one is actually going to propose. I think really, um, really doing that, even though we do ship garbage all over the world, which is, it. you know, so we're, we're broken at, at many levels, but I think a lot of this is, um, is the result of our, our kind of globalist mindset and our, you know, our inability to actually account for the costs of globalization and of this kind of transport. And I, I think it's really you know, um, it's it, it breaking as we speak. I mean, the supply chains with, with COVID are really, uh, really seizing up. And we'll probably see, you know, I expect to see very severe supply chain disruptions, if you know, if they haven't already begun, um, that will prompt a lot of rethinking about, um, you know, the need for more more local supply chains. And, and I think that's um, very important for sustainability because, the again, this whole sort of global nature of things, um, it it insufficiently represents the structure of the environment and society and the needs of sustainability. And we've been like heavily subsidized by, by oil and all the fossil fuels in the ground. And, and, you know, the, the, the differentials in, in the sort of regulatory environment in the different countries that allowed, you know, allow everyone to sort of, you know, offshore their, um, their manufacturing and and so on. So all that's kind of going to come home to roost. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that COVID will sort of give us the opportunity to rethink what it means to be a sustainable civilization and not in these sort of naive ways of like, oh, just invest in ESG or, or whatever, or just like build more solar panels. Like, you know, that's not going to cut it. Uh, we really need to, to restructure things and focus on much more local supply chains at, at every level. And uh, and uh, yeah, sorry, i'll I'll hop
0: there for now. <laughs> no, no, no. That's, I mean, you know, sat here in the UK, we, we not only have COVID, but then we have Brexit and like, you know, building materials are, are fucked. We've got like, I just ordered an electric car a year ago and they just told me it's going to be another year. Um, so we're we're it's, it's very real um, over here. Um, just to kind of close off on the, the, the original question, because I just want to check if I'm understanding it right and this might be really reductionist so excuse me if it's it's the case but um it is is the argument that because dows are all the rage now like everyone's talking about this is you know 2021 is going to be the year of the down um uh, is the argument that actually, you know, the more blockchains that are possible and the greater interoperability between blockchain and blockchains, the less requirement there is for a DAO. Or like more DAOs would exist when you're limiting yourself to a single blockchain, or is that is that just too reductionist?
1: Uh, maybe. I mean, each blockchain is in some sense a DAO, right? Like a, a Cosmos blockchain very, very clearly is in the sense that, you know, by by default, when you launch a Cosmos blockchain, it comes with a community pool and, and the, you know, the the stakeholders, the token holders, however you want to structure it, um, govern distribution of funds from that pool. And, you know, so that is, that's basically all, all it takes to be a DAO. I mean, there's this going joke that like, oh, what's a DAO? It's like a, a Discord channel and a multi-sig, you know, like that's that's a mockery of what we're actually, what we're actually trying to do here. Um, but I, but I do think, you know, what we're, what we're working towards with Cosmos is like that the blockchain is kind of the new website, right? And and maybe that's ambitious that there'll be as many blockchains as websites, but I think that's, um, that, that's kind of the idea, but that the websites will be more representative of the users and and owned by the users and, uh, you know, more local. And, you know, there's this, there's this book from the nineties that a lot of people, um, I think really like the sovereign individual that's, that I think is kind of a Bible for a lot of people. I think there's a lot of problems with that book um i didn't get through the whole thing parts of it are great but uh i prefer the sovereign interoperable community right so if i was going to write a book maybe it would be it would be called that the sovereign interoperable community and it would be talking about you know the sovereignty of communities and that the actual building block of society isn't the individual it's it's the community um you know obviously it's not the individual because you're born into a family and you have to be raised you know you're you're not functional until you're you know at least some number of years old so uh, individuals don't cut it as the sort of primitive unit of, of society. It's, uh, it really is, it really is communities. And you want to call me a collectivist, fine. I I think, uh, I I think that's, um, misguided or, or, or a bit reductionist. Uh, but I think, I think communities are really the, the, the stronger unit. And what we need is a better understanding of the sort of multi-scale structure of communities. Right. And, and so much of the blockchain discourse, because things are so global, we're still kind of stuck in the kind of globalist mindset and it's all you know, speculative, and everyone's just trying to run a casino and you know have fun gambling and 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 getting you know getting rich or having fun staying poor, however you want to <laughs> you want to frame it. Um, but you know we really need to uh, we really need to it, like none of this is really real until we tie it down to the real world until we're actually supporting real economic uh, activity and infrastructure. And you know, frankly, in the blockchain space, there isn't that much of that. You know, I mentioned that there are a number of Cosmos chains that are, that are starting to get real and and you know support real world. Uh, activity, but I think we, we need a lot more of that for the the sort of DAO stuff to really matter because so many of these DAOs are like, you know, they're forming DAOs, but like, what are they even governing, right? They're like governing their ability to make money speculating or something like that's not, you know, I don't, I don't I'm not, I'm not really interested in that. Um, and it, it's hard work to actually connect with the real world and, um, and, and to localize and, and build, you know, real world communities. And, you know, obviously there's a place for the, for the kind of, global anonymous, um, you know, infrastructure that is kind of talked about in the sovereign individual. And that is maybe part of the philosophy of, of something like a Bitcoin. And, you know, but, but I think we need, again, this sort of multi-scale, uh, infrastructure, we need the right infrastructure at each scale. And, and we need to actually bridge the gap between the hyper-local, you know, interoperable community and the hyper-global sort of, you know, anarcho-capitalist, if you will, um, kind of Bitcoin network or something. And and, and they both have their place and, and so does everything in between, but we need to actually be thinking about that kind of multi-scale, you know, fractal nature of the thing. Um, and, and the the forms of governance that are appropriate at each scale. And if the things we're governing are just, you know, speculative casinos, I I don't really care. Um, you can do whatever you want. If you want to start your own blockchain or (laughs) or run a smart (laughs) contract, whatever, but, uh, yeah.
0: Uh, Yeah. And I love the fact that we touched on the sovereign individual. Um, and you know, I think that that is a podcast in and of itself, but I actually think you you kind of close close that off pretty neatly. So look, look, like final question. Um, if we kind of zoom out, like all this plays out. Um, obviously the name of the show. Now it used to be founders of web three, it's now called the Metaverse Show. Um, because we are increasingly seeing all this Web3 infrastructure, or however you want to refer to it, as an operating system for um an open metaverse. And and you know, really that's can this continuation of thinking around sovereignties, just like more immersive. Um so like how how i define my understanding of the metaverse um rightly or wrongly is that if you put aside all the convergent technologies that might be required that might make it more immersive whether its vr ar or all that kind of stuff um ultimately it's the it's the fact that it's an economic system that interests me more than necessarily you know how immersive it might be um, although, of course, it, it requires this blurring of physical and digital uh, somehow. Um, but for me, the, the, the way I think about the metaverse is it is, and it is, um, for it to be the metaverse, so it can't be plural. There aren't like multiple metaverses; um, it, it's singular. Um, and as a consequence, it is an economic system that jo- enjoys supremacy too. Things like nation states and fiat-based economies. Now, a do you, politics. Sorry. Well, yeah, right. So, so firstly, do you, do you subscribe to that? Do you agree with it? I want to kind of stress test it with you. And then, secondly, the follow-up question to that is: What is the role, if any, of fiat in that future?
1: Oh man, uh, this is loaded. But uh, okay, I think a, a big problem is that uh, we practice economics without politics, and um, that's, uh, that's 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 uh, dumb. You know, we need to like revive a proper tradition of, of political economics, and the idea that we can have like an economic system devoid of politics, I think, is naive and utopian, and and the sort of crux of so many of our of our issues today and so to to try to ignore the political aspects of things by just assuming that oh it's just like kind of some purely economic um you know self-regulating thing um i think is uh is naive and, and actually destructive and, and again misrepresents the actual structure of what we're doing here and thus compromises our sustainability so we have to, we have to keep the political in mind and i think the only way to do that correctly without sort of devolving into you know authoritarian regimes is with this kind of multi-scale localism um, and, and, you know, to have, you know, engaged political discourse at each level and, and so much of, we've, of what we've lost, I think, over the you know, last few decades is the ability to have kind of nuanced political discussions. And, and you know, that's um, quite unfortunate. And so, you know, I don't really blame people for saying, oh, well, screw the politics. Let's just go, you know, be economic actors. Uh, I understand where they're coming from. But, you know, I think that's just just further dis, uh, destructive. So I don't love this like metaverse discourse of it just being like one economic metaverse because it, it, uh, you know, it hides all the actual, you know, politics that, that makes it work and is that it, that is necessary. And, you know, where is the infrastructure run and, and how, and who governs it and so on. And all that stuff is, uh, I think incredibly important. Um, yeah. Sorry. What was the second part of that?
0: question Well, no, well, so, and then it was like, what, what's the role of feed in it, but let's let, oh, just to kind yeah. of to close it, close off on that point that you were yeah. saying. Um, so so you're absolutely right you know you can't detach um economics from politics and i guess the assumption here is is that the blockchain of blockchains enables a meta economic system but that allows for hyper local political verses in effect right to to manifest is, is that fair
1: yeah maybe um to be honest i don't i don't quite I haven't quite settled my understanding of what the, what the political, what the global political structure ought to look like. Um, so I don't, I don't know is, is, isn't
0: isn't that the point that you don't need to right because actually it's hyper, it's hyper-local. Yeah.
1: It it needs to be emergent in some sense. Yeah. And, and multi-scale. So it's not just hyper-local. You also need, you know, amalgamations of, of localities and and to properly represent them. And, And maybe the global thing is just a, you know, some kind of cooperative of, you know more regional um more regional polities but um yeah i'm not sure i mean there is something inherently very appealing about bitcoin because of the way it, it tries to be kind of purely you know more purely an economic sort of resource-based um system though obviously bitcoin has you know heavy political elements too and right. you know if you try to ignore that you you, you get into trouble or, or you miss important aspects of it but um yeah so i don't know exactly what the what the what the quite the answer is but
0: uh i i I know that you have said like multiple times so coming to the bitcoin point you said multiple times that you believe bitcoin is critical foundational yeah to to the whole thing right yeah Um, i'm a bit of a i call myself a closet
1: bitcoin maxi um weird thing for someone who's like devoted his whole life to proof of stake to say um and uh, you know, it took me a while to, to sort of arrive at that position. I wrote a blog post trying to justify it a bit more um a month ago or something. Um, so you 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 can check that out. But yeah, I think uh, you know, and also sort of coming back to your fiat point. Yeah. Um, I think it's important that the the structure of money uh you know properly represents again the environment and, and the structure of society. And uh Fiat I think has chronically failed to do that. And so, you know, I'm not I'm not necessarily against fiat per se in and of itself just like i'm not against corporations or you know markets in, in the same way i think they they can have important roles to play the question is around the institutional structure sort of you know uh, governing it and and what information that it actually represents right and if it it, it, it so i see it as it needs to be tied to some meaningful you know, representational capacity to actually represent something real in the world, uh, and not just you know the whims of of the central bankers, say, um, and and that's the the I think uh, a huge part of the problem with fiat and why I'm so why I find Bitcoin so important because it sort of grounds the it grounds the monetary system in something that's fundamental to our civilization right now, which is the thermodynamics of computation, right? Um, and you know that that sort of sounds like a kind of neo gold. Neo gold standard sort of sort of take, and I do have you know, sympathies for gold as well. Obviously, it was chronically mismanaged, and you know there were huge issues with with uh, deflation in, in the gold standard. Arguably, uh, you know it, it was the it was the mistakes of governments and and and, and politicians who were sort of not effectively um, managing the gold standard properly, or you know were interventionist. But you have to be careful with that kind of thinking. But I do think it is important that the money we use is grounded in real world activity. And my preferred approach to that is, um, is trade credit and trade credit clearing and to build your money system out of, uh, you know, obligation clearing networks, right? So like if I owe you money and, you know, you owe Joe money and Joe owes me money. Um, we can clear that without anyone having to, you know, to actually come up with any cash or, or dollars just by surfacing the information that that network of obligations, that closed loop of obligations exists. Right. And so uh, and this is actually really interesting because it also ties into the larger supply chain issues of, you know, how do we how do we develop and incentivize and motivate uh, more local supply chains. And I think this kind of credit clearing, these kind of credit clearing networks can potentially have a big role to play where if you can do this, and, and banks do this all the time, and banks use tons of clearing mechanisms between themselves to save, I don't know, trillions of dollars in liquidity. Um, but but the, these solutions aren't really available to the average business, um, you know, or, or to the average individual. And I think if we, if we were to focus on rolling these kinds of networks out for businesses that would allow them to to, you know, clear credit, basically turning AR, you know, accounts receivable and accounts payable into a kind of payments network, really, without having to come up with additional cash by just like tracking, you know, closed loops of obligations and motivating more local loops. Um, you could, you could get, you could use that as the sort of foundation for a monetary system. And that's what I'm sort of trying to explore now. And, and you know, the, the kind of monetary localism, which is, I think my, you know, the conclusion of, you know, you start from a philosophy of sustainability, existentialism, and you arrive at a sort of politics or policy of, of monetary localism. And it's sort of grounded in these ideas of, of trade credit clearing and the possibility of building mutual credit systems on top of that. Um, I don't know how to solve the problem of the unit of account yet, but I expect that the unit of account might need to be grounded in something more meaningful than just like the fiat dollar standard. Maybe it's something like gold or Bitcoin or some basket of goods. I don't know. I mean, there's still a lot of open unsolved problems here, but... Um, I think monetary theory is a very very rich space that is ripe for a kind of explosion of new new activity to, to properly address these problems uh, and that work I think is only just beginning
0: boom I mean we're pretty much on the hour um I'm not gonna lie that was one of the favorite one of my favorite podcasts and I, don't, <laughs> oh. I don't say that to everybody trust me yeah. you can you can listen um uh, you know and I've done like I don't know we, we've done over 100 now I think so oh. Um, so I, I really enjoyed it. Um, now I feel richer for it and, but but I want to make sure before you go. I know this is really important. You want to talk about that you are recruiting at the moment. So oh, yeah. we are hiring a lot of yeah. people.
1: Uh, Cosmos is hiring. Cosmos is growing. If you want to build, if you want to work on the core infrastructure that you know we expect to power a more sustainable society that's embedded with these you know core values of sovereignty and interoperability and is you know not beholden to sort of per se profit interest or, or corporate interest. Uh, and you like this kind of philosophy that we've been talking about. Um, you know, check out the Cosmos job boards, jobs.cosmos.network. Uh, Informal Systems and the Interchain Foundation are also hiring. Interchain.io and um, and uh, Informal thats the, that's our company. So, you know, if you're if you're into this kind of R and D or even this kind of economics or political economics, please check it out. Um, we'd love to hear from you.
0: Awesome, and you know what? I would love to get you on the show with somebody else to debate around. Um, the self sovereign of an individual, and whatever the alternative is. Oh, um, that would be because, fun! I guess I should finish oh, um,
1: the book, but uh, yeah, I do yeah,
0: to do that. You go. Okay, let me know when you finish the book, and then we'll 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 bring somebody on. Okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah fine. I, I I I fundamentally, on the one hand, there's a lot about it that really resonates. On the other hand, there's a lot that made me feel very uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and I'd like to. I'd like to figure out what my actual position is on it because I still don't really know. So I'm, I, I think you might be able to help me.
1: Yeah, I, I highly recommend Carl um, Polanyi. and The Great Transformation. is just such an incredible book about you know how capitalism emerged and and you know what the roots are and and this problem of the fictitious commodities. I think that's a really important, powerful concept that isn't uh, talked about enough. There are a lot of Georgists in in the blockchain ecosystem you know the henry george followers who who um you know i think uh resonated with this kind of idea of land not actually being a commodity it's not the fruit of any human's labor therefore the rules of private property should not apply to it um because it it can only become the property of a human being by virtue of theft or you know murder or something like that and of course you know most of the way land was acquired in, in the past uh, has that and so uh, there is i have seen a lot of sympathy to the georgist ideas in in the blockchain space and hopefully the kinds of you know coordination tools we're developing can help uh materialize that which would allow a much more mature approach to let's say taxation by just taxing land values instead of all the nonsense around taxing you know income tax or wealth or or whatever uh, which are ineffective for a thousand reasons but Polanyi has a much more uh, a sort of complete view that includes also labor and money as a sort of additional fictitious commodities. And, and I'm also sort of fleshing that out um, on my own a little bit further and, you know, trying to study really the factors of production and the kind of social theories for each of them. And, you know, maybe maybe I'll write a book about it or something. But um, anyway, so I recommend that for people that have, you know, are sort of interested in this conversation and want to want to sort of dive in somewhere. Uh, I think it's, it, it's quite a, a good book and um, leads to a lot of other uh, directions for pursuing.
0: It always feels really inappropriate when somebody recommends a book like that to you, and you then have to go to Amazon to buy it, right? But- yeah, don't buy it off Amazon. Uh,
1: go to a local bookseller or go to World of Books. Uh, you know, I stopped using Amazon um, a couple of years ago, uh, but so so please don't buy it off Amazon. <laughs> but otherwise, try to get it. <laughs>
0: Awesome. Ethan, thanks so much for coming on. And as I said, I definitely want to get you on again uh, to to discuss some of the themes that we touched upon in greater detail. And congratulations on all the success you're enjoying in, in Cosmos.
1: Sounds great. Thanks so much for having me. It was a blast.
0: If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3.